If you have your Bibles, you can find your way to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're starting our series today called Truth Shaped. As you can see, we've left Nehemiah. Um, whether you think that's good or bad or you're indifferent from it, we spent 11 weeks just going through Nehemiah, understanding how God works in, in individual lives to accomplish his, his purposes, His glory, and how it points things towards Him. It points every evidence of what's happening to God. And so this summer, we're going we're gonna to take a break from going through a book, and we're going to hit some, some topics, but they all run into this idea that we're shaped by God's truth. We're shaped by what we learn of who God is and as a result, who we are. And then we're going to talk about why we do certain things as a church, here specifically at Watershed, what we believe about certain core values and things that, that we believe are tenets that the church should hold to, and despite what culture or society or other churches say. Not that we're going to start getting this pointing at who's wrong, but say who we are as a result, and, and allow that to define who we are. And so this idea of truth-shaped is this, we're, that God shapes us who we are by His truth, by His, His Word. And that's where we start today is because we believe that the, the Bible is the foundation on which everything that, that we have comes from. And so today we're going to be dealing with this idea of biblical preaching, or, or actually just this idea of what is Scripture. Can we trust it? We always talk about it's good to ask questions. And so today we're going to, through looking at Scripture and what Scripture says about itself and, and the idea of what we can do when we encounter Scripture, is, is answering those. Can you trust the Bible? Is it reliable? Is it a reliable account? And if it's reliable, it, sh- it needs to be accurate, right? So is it, is it accurate? Can we trust what it is? Is it truthful in what it says? Is it truthful in what it says? And there's all sorts of people that, that claim that you can't really trust because there, there's stuff, even the authors, they didn't understand things that we did. There's passages that talk about the sun rising, and we know now that the sun doesn't rise, the earth rotates. So is it even, can we, can we listen to it then? They didn't understand that, right? Or, or what is the meaning behind that? You know, and, and that is it true, but is it consistent? There's a lot of places where maybe Scripture contradicts itself. And so we, we look at this, and we want to look at this idea of why we can trust Scripture. And, and when we do that, we understand then that, that there is a purpose for it. That we can ask, what is the purpose of Scripture? Is it, is it merely for faith and practice? Is, do we just need to, the, the idea of what it talks about? Is that what's important? Or is it literally the, the exact words that it has? Is it, and maybe it's just ideas or faith and practice, if you will. It gives you a good idea of how to live. Maybe some people talk about it being a road map, like this is kind of how you should live your life, which to me, if you've read Scripture, that one's kind of thrown out there because it never tells you what to do. It doesn't tell you to take this job or that job or move to this city or that city. Most of people around here, the army tells you where to move, right? So it's like you don't get to choose unless you don't want to stay, and then you stay forever, apparently. That seems to be the thing that happens around here. But, but it's this, what is it then? And then if it's reliable, if it's trustworthy, if it has a purpose to, to in our lives, is it a final authority? Where does the final authority lie? Is it in Scripture? Is it the church? Does the church have the final authority in our life? Some people say the government. That's not a prevalent thing here, but there's pockets of society. I think the government should be the final authority. Let them dictate everything because they're smart enough to know how to tell us to live our lives. 
to be inclusive. And so when we look at this idea of biblical preaching, understanding that, that what we do here is, treat, is teach the truth of Scripture, we, we look at this idea of can we trust the Bible? Can we trust what we're looking at when we look at this? Because clearly it's not in the original language. I don't think any of you are holding a Greek New Testament right now looking at 2 Timothy. So is it, can we trust it? How, who, who translated this? What does all that look? And, and we're not going to get necessarily as specific, but we're going to look at what the Bible says about itself and then how we can rely on, rely on that and how that applies to our lives based on what Scripture consists of. And, and then from that, the rest of the summer, we'll use this as a, as a launch pad then from everything else because everything else will be based on that. So we, this is the, the logical starting point. So if you will, we're going to read this passage in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 17, and then we'll continue to, to look at what God has for us today. So in 2 Timothy 3.10, if you'll follow along, it says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. If you will pray with me and ask the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father God, we, we come before you, God, and we, we stand holding your word, acknowledging that we are incapable of handling it without your Spirit. God, that, that I can't proclaim your truth apart from your spirit, God, and we can't hear your truth apart from your spirit, God. And we just pray that today we would submit ourselves to your spirit, that, that our lives and our hearts would be changed and be pierced because of the word of truth that we have today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so as we look at this idea and we look at Scripture, what's happening a, a lot of places when we look at Scripture is this idea of you can't believe everything that you read on the Internet, right? You've heard that before. If you didn't know that, you can't believe everything that you read on the Internet. I don't know if you've been encountered some of the stuff you have. Maybe Facebook's probably better now because there's all sorts of random stuff now that just pop up. And look at all these Photoshopped pictures of crazy stuff. And like, that didn't really happen. There wasn't a shark on I-45 in Houston last week, but there was a picture going around of this massive shark. It's just, sorry. But what we need to understand is we can't apply that then to Scripture. But it does in our hearts and our minds. We, we see this, we're like, can we really understand what's happening here? Can we believe this? Because culture says that we've advanced beyond the ancient world, and so surely that has to be in our understanding of how God interacts in our lives. That is the Scripture that was written so long ago, put together by people that lived so long ago, does that still apply to our life? And we doubt that because we doubt everything in our life right now. 
We're sold so many things, we're taught so many different things that, that we immediately put up a guard when we see something. Even if you've been in church your entire life, you've memorized scripture your entire life, it still comes to this point where, does, that really, does it really matter what I believe about that? Did that really happen the way it says? It did. And here at Watershed, we believe yes. Firmly believe that. We, what we're talking about today is this idea of, of inerrancy is that the scripture is without error. And, and Wayne Grudem, uh, in his systematic theology, says he defines inerrancy as this. He says, inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. So in the original autographs, the original manuscripts, it doesn't affirm anything that's contrary to fact. And so what we see on that is that the Bible doesn't teach exhaustively on everything but what it does teach on, it doesn't teach on, it doesn't tell you anything that's contrary to fact. It's not a science book, but the parts about science that it teaches are not contrary to fact. It's, and so what we see in that is we can look at this, and it's not contrary to fact in the original manuscripts, and that's the first thing that comes up. Well, this isn't the original, so how do we know? But when you start looking at all the stats, and if you, you, can, you can Google it later to get the exact number, there's, there's thousands, tens of thousands of manuscripts of, of, of the Bible that we have. They've just found one recently. They haven't published it, but, but there's a, it's Mark, I believe. I didn't go look it up again. But there's, they've, they've found part of Mark that's, that's dated within 10 years of the original. And so we have all this amount of stuff, tens of thousands of fragments. And so we have an idea, we know what the originals say because all these fragments, fragments that we have don't contradict each other. So no, we're not holding the original manuscript, but we know what it says because we have stuff preserved. Scripture is more preserved than any other book from the ancient world, by far. By far. Homer's Iliad's number two, and there's only like 10 copies dating within like 500 years when it was written. And we've got, we've got copies within 10 years of the original manuscript of the Bible. So yes, we can go back. We know what it says. We know what it says. And in fact, if you were reading along in verse 17, my translation says that God may be, they may be competent. And now if you had the ESV or another one, it might say complete because they've updated it. They think that complete is a better understanding in, in our language of what that means. Mine says competent because I'm using uh, the, the previous translation of the ESV. So now it says complete, and it'll throw you off if you have an old one and then you look on the internet and it's like, what happened to the word? Wait, it changed on me. What happened? It's, it's because they're trying to get the, the language now to what we would, the uh, meaning complete is more closely aligned to the meaning of the original Greek. And so that's why they change it from competent to complete, because you're lacking nothing in that. And so what we see in this idea, what we see through this passage, is that we can hold on Scripture because it is inerrant. And what we're going to learn through that then is that we look at this passage of Paul telling Timothy how to lead his church and what he's done. We're going to see that it is inerrant. We can stand on it. And it does apply to our life. And so just quickly, I want to go through that passage and then we'll get into how this applies, talking about characteristics of Scripture. In this first part, you see verse 10, 11, You, however, follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all of them the Lord rescued me. And what we see there is Paul, he's, this is the last letter that Paul wrote. He's in prison, he's waiting execution in Rome, and he's writing to Timothy saying, here, this is what you need to do. But what he goes back into is this idea of, of follow what I have done. 
I've, I've stood on the meaning of Scripture. I know what God had given me. We talked about that when we talked through Galatians, that this was given to him, wasn't taught by man. And so Paul's saying, you've followed that teaching. You've seen me as an example, follow it. Now hold to that. You've understood the persecutions I had. Because what's happening in, in Timothy's world is there's these false teachers coming in, and, and so and Paul's saying, no, stand on that, because I did. Continue to follow that. Continue to follow that. And then he, he adds in this great, inspiring verse 12 that says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's like, follow this, why? Because you're going to be persecuted if you're going to live a godly life. And see, that's what we need to understand now in the church today, is if we're not trying to live a godly life rooted in the Scripture, the persecution that Paul's talking about is not going to happen because we're not a threat to the enemy. If we're not living a godly life, persecution is not going to happen because we're not going out against the enemy. So he's saying if you're going to live that way, and in culture right now, we're, we're about to have to define this, which side are you going to be on? Are going to stand on the truth of Scripture? Are you going to stand on what God has given us? Or are you going to just fade into culture? And so what Paul's saying here, very applicable today, is that if you desire to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. Now, our level of persecution is not near what other people are facing. None of us have been afraid of someone coming in right now and taking us off to kill us simply because we're doing this. But persecution, nonetheless, is going to happen. That doesn't make what they suffer less. But it still happens, and that's what Paul's saying. He said, Timothy, if you're going to do this, if you're going to live a godly life, follow what you've been following, all these things that happened to me, you're going to be persecuted. But it's okay. And then 13, he says, but the evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse. So it's going to get worse. Have you ever heard that it's going to get worse before it gets better? I always say that, I say that often, right? Well, it's going to get, it can't get any worse. Well, it's going to get worse before it gets better, right? Well, so is our life. So is the culture around us. It's going to get worse before it's get better because we have to understand we're not made for this life. The getting better part doesn't happen here. It happens in eternity. It doesn't happen now. God's not created us to have this amazing life here. Some people are blessed in this, in, the, in, in this life, and it looks better, but this is not the end result. It doesn't matter what you have. The end result is something greater, and that's what Paul, it's going to get worse before it gets better, because here's not the end result. And then in verse 14 and the rest of this, we understand why he can stand on that. But for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing whom you learned it from. He said, first, look at who you learned it from. Know and continue in that. doesn't matter what's happening. doesn't matter about these false teachers. doesn't matter about anything else. Continue in what you've learned. And in verse 15, how from childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And here's where we get into him talking about Scripture. From childhood, this is where you get in Timothy's mother and granddaughter, Eunice and Lois, their grandmother, Eunice and Lois. They taught him that. They taught him the sacred. He's been acquainted from childhood. He's saying, stand firm in that. Don't let these imposters, don't let these deceptions, don't let these persecutions shake you from what you've learned and what you've known from childhood in the sacred writings, going back to Scripture. Because they're able to make you wise for salvation of faith in Christ. And there we have the purpose of Scripture. Scripture reveals who God is. And then it reveals who we are. And then it shows us that there was a bridge between that separation. 
And so what it does is Scripture makes us wise to the salvation in Christ Jesus alone, that he was sent while we were dead in our trespasses. And that's what Paul's telling Timothy to come back to, is you've been acquainted with in the sacred writings. You've been made, you understand what salvation is, so stand firm in that. Why? Because the famous verses in this passage, because all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that's what most people talk about, right? If you've ever heard this passage, most of the time you only hear verse 13 and 17. That all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's, it's useful, right? It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that you may be complete or competent, equipped for everything. And so what he's saying there is, if we don't look at everything within the line of that, we miss the magnitude of verse 16. Because he's saying, look at all this stuff that's going to happen. Look at all this persecution. Everything's going to happen. Remember what you've learned since your childhood, who you've learned it from, because you can trust those people. Timothy could trust his mother and his grandmother. He could trust Paul. He's saying, why? Because all Scripture is God-breathed. It's not written by human alone, but through divine inspiration. It's profitable. And so what we see then, and we look at this idea in that, in that passage, we see all the characteristics of Scripture that we can stand on because it's inerrant, evident in this passage of Paul telling Timothy in his last letter that Scripture is useful. It's breathed out by God. And that's how it applies to our lives. That's how it applies to our lives. First we see, make sure I'm right, the, the Scripture's enough. When you look at verse 10 through 12 and you see all these persecutions going to happen, but you see Timothy following Paul and everything. He's imitating him. You followed me in my teaching, conduct, aim of life, faith, patience, love, steadfastness. He's saying that Scripture's enough because that's what Paul's life was rooted on. If you've read through Scripture, if you've seen what Paul says, he's, he's, always, he's always firm on being steadfast in, in the true doctrine of Scripture, which is salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Ephesians, Galatians. Galatians is the biggest offense of that where he says, I was given this, not taught by man. So we see here that, that Scripture's enough. And what's going to happen, though, and what you're going to have a, a, a temptation to do and what I have a temptation to do con- consistently is when you look at Scripture and you see something that, that might be contrary to what people are saying, you, you, you want to you change it just a little bit, right? You're like, oh, well, maybe he didn't really mean that. That was a different century, Maybe it's through thinking that we were smarter than they were in the ancient world. But, but we go back to this idea that this persecution, this idea that, that we're going to be marginalized as a church makes us want to come in and just change Scripture a little bit, make it a little more palatable. Well, maybe I can still uphold this, but I can kind of fit in a little better. Because that's what persecution has, happens. And so what we need to understand is first that, is that we can trust the Bible because it's enough for us to stand on. We don't need anything else. We don't need anything else. Kevin DeYoung is a a pastor in Michigan. He says that we don't need to add to it to meet today's challenges or subtract from it to mesh with today's ideas. And so what he's saying there is that we don't need to subtract from it. We don't need to change it and take it away to meet the challenges that we're going to face. But we also don't need to to mesh it in with, with the ideas of today. It stands alone. It's enough. It's sufficient to give us what we need to live our lives. And that's what Paul's saying in that first thing, that look what you followed. And everything that he's saying about his life, his steadfastness, his faith, 
his conduct, his teaching, all of that was scripture because he's, he goes back in other places and saying, this is what I've written. It's a command of the Lord. So Paul understood that what I'm writing is scripture. This is from God. And so it's enough for us, too, that we can look at this and say, I don't need anything else. I don't need to subtract to it or add to it to fit something. This is who we are supposed to be as a Christian, someone following Christ. And so we can stand on that. Even when culture says, no, you can't. You're outdated. You're on the wrong side of history on this. There isn't a wrong side of history if we're grounded in Scripture because Scripture is rooted in the person that set history from the beginning. And we go in that, but then we also see it's not only enough, but it's clear. Scripture's clear. Now you see that in these next verses, 14 and 15, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. If you can firmly believe something, then you know it pretty evident, right? It's not firm unless you understand everything about it. You might have done that when you've learned a new job or you've transitioned to something else. You really don't feel confident. You're not firm in what you do until you truly understand it. And you're not going to truly understand it until it's clearly evident in everything about it. And so when he says, hold to what you firmly believed, it was clear. Saying this is clearly what it is. And then from your childhood, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. And what we see there is this, this going back and forth. A lot of times we, we need to, when we have children, we're teaching them the ways. There's a point to where they're going to have to take that, take ownership for themselves. They're not going to have to believe something just simply because their parents told them something. They're going to have to have this and wrestle through this time of, is that really what I believe? But what Paul's saying here is, is look who you learned it from. Go back to that message, and that's why it's important to teach our children. Because at some point, they're going to wrestle with that. I went through that. I went through that time where two or three years where I was probably the furthest from God that I've ever been. Even though I knew the right answers. It didn't define who I was until God opened my eyes and my heart to understanding that this is actually what it was. And my life changed from there. And I had friends, had family members that, that, can't, that can't put those together and they don't talk to me anymore simply because I became aware of what God was telling me to live. And it didn't mesh with the old person that I had been. And I, had to, and I wrestled with that because I had to be okay to lose friends to live for God. And it's not an easy thing, but Scripture's clear to understand. We're not off the hook saying, well, I don't really get that. I haven't been, to, I haven't been trained. We're, we're not off the hook. If you look in Deuteronomy 30, if you want to turn there, you can. Deuteronomy 30 is a very interesting passage about Scripture that we often don't go to because we're, we don't go to the Old Testament very often, especially Deuteronomy and Exodus, because you get into all these things that I don't really understand. We especially avoid Leviticus because we don't really understand how to explain all that. How does that actually fit in our life? But in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, God says, For this commandment that I've commanded you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Although now in verse 12, we've seen the realization of that, that, that someone did come down from heaven to give us that. We see the, real, we see the other part of that, because we have Jesus. But look at verse 13, it says, Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us to bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? In verse 14, Deuteronomy 30, But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and your heart so that you can do it. It's clear. What God's called us to live is clear. 
That doesn't mean you're going to understand everything. It doesn't mean you're going to understand everything about what you're doing because even Peter talks about not understanding what Paul wrote. In 2 Peter, he's like, there's things that he writes that are hard to understand. It just says, it always cracks me up because I'm like, finally, I can relate to that. I can relate to Peter not understanding what Paul wrote. He's like, what in the world is he saying? But he's telling him that, but the point of that is he's saying, but people will twist and imposters will twist as they do the other scriptures. And what we see in there, and when we look at that, we see that idea that, that Peter's even saying that, that it's, it's hard to understand, but that doesn't stop us then when we look at Deuteronomy and other places to understand that, wait a second, it is clear. We have everything that we need in Scripture to be accountable. Ordinary people by ordinary means can know enough about God and who God is through Scripture to live a godly life. That doesn't mean that some people aren't going to understand more or in a better in-depth or maybe are easier with that. But everything is clear for us to, to learn and to hold firmly onto what is taught by Scripture. It's clear enough for us to understand that. Even though part of it's hard, what's been revealed to us is enough for us to understand that. It's clear enough. But we also see that it's authoritative, and this is probably the one that the, the next two, authoritative, and then we, we, we'll talk about it, it's necessary. These are the ones that, that go against us the most. It's authoritative. Scripture is authoritative. All Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, is, is, is authoritative. There's, there's places in the, old, in the New Testament that, that affirm what, what Scripture is. It's talking about that, that Second Peter passage, it's Second Peter 3.16, where he says it's hard to understand, but he says, as they do for other Scriptures. So Peter's acknowledging that what Paul writes is Scripture. So it's not that we can just count the Old Testament and the New Testament. They understood this as Scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says that, that what I'm telling you to do is a command of the Lord. If it's a command of the Lord, then it's Scripture. He's saying, look at this. Look at this. We even see in, in 1 Timothy, Paul quotes something from the Old Testament. He says that, that don't muzzle the ox when he treads and, and the worker deserves his wage. Well, he's quoting Scripture from Deuteronomy, but it, Jesus also quotes that in Luke 10. And so we have all this stuff that's saying that you know, Scripture's authoritative, Old and New Testament. We can, we, can, we can stand on that, Old and New. We can stand, it's authoritative. And what's going to happen, though, is we get to parts of Scripture that we don't understand because some of it's hard to understand, and our questions allow us to question the authority of Scripture because we can't understand it. And that's what, we, that's what I want to encourage you to not do, is that when you get to a spot, when you're looking through it and you're getting to this and you don't understand what it is, to, to wrestle with it, understand it, try to understand, pray to understand, because what's going to happen is the, the final authority that rests in Scripture, you're going to understand enough of it to be accountable for it, for it to teach you and show you how to live, but you don't have to have all your questions answered. It doesn't have to be that way. That's not, it's not for that. It doesn't have to be that way to be authoritative. J.I. Packer responds to that idea and says, Our own intellectual competence is not the test and measure of divine truth. It says it's not for us to stop believing because we lack understanding, but to believe in order that we may understand. And that's what I want to encourage you with, that when we look at Scripture, and some of it is hard to read. It is hard to understand. I'm not going to tell you that. There's stuff, there's times, even, even going through Nehemiah, that last... That last, I, would, I knew what was coming, 
we had outlined it, we, Dave and I at Grace Bible, because we were preaching the same series, we had outlined it, we would set everything up well beforehand, I knew what was coming, there would be a day where I'd open it up, I'd look at something in Nehemiah and be like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to teach out of that. No idea. But what happened is I was like, there's got to be something that directly applies to our life. Because I gave us that truth. And so our question, my questioning didn't make me go to this, I, this spot to where it's not final authority. I don't need to bring something to this. But it rests in the fact that it is the final authority. It is the authority. And so we can look at it and we can learn from it. We can align our lives to it because it is authoritative, even when we have questions about it. You can look at the end of Job and understand what happens when we question God. In the last part of Job, God basically puts him, everyone in a place. He said, where were you when the mountain goat gives birth? Who holds back the storehouses in heaven? Like, wait a second, that's not you. So why question it? We don't have to have all our questions answered. And that's a part of society today that, that, that goes against that. Because it says, if you don't understand it all, then it can't be true. It can't be true, can it? But, but when did that change? When did, when did we come to this point where we have to have every answer for something to be true? Right now, we're in a unique place in that. I, I think about it all the time when we're, in, when we're in PE, because we play tag games. And suddenly now, and I, don't, I always say this, now if, it, if you get tagged on your, your shirt or your hair, it doesn't count. I'm like, what? Like I'm like, you just got tagged. They're like, no, it doesn't. It hit my shirt. I'm like, that counts. Like, when did that happen? To when I wish that would have happened. I could you just wear the big shirt and then no one's ever gonna get you, right? But it's like, when did that happen in in in, in school to where you get tagged on your shirt, it doesn't count? I have no idea when that happened. That's the same thing that's happening with authority of scripture. Is when do we have to have when did it become necessary to have every single answer for us to rely on something? Because we have to give up control of our lives for that to be true. If we don't have to have all the answers, then we can't be in control. And that's what wars against us these days. Is we can be our own person. We can't do that with Scripture. It's a, a, authoritative. We can rely on the Bible because it's authoritative. We don't need to go anywhere else. It's been written down for us. It's been given to us. It's been passed down. And so it is that authority, so we can trust it because it is an authority that's reliable, that doesn't change with time. It doesn't just flow with whatever is the cool thing at that time. It stands firm because it's God's word, authoritative word on how to live. It's sufficient enough for us. And it's clear enough for us to understand. And it's authority even when we don't understand everything about it. And then ultimately that leads us to the last thing, that it's necessary. It's, it's necessary in our lives. And so when we ask ourselves, what do you want out of your life? If you don't look at Scripture, then you're never going to end up with the right thing. Because the point of our life as a Christian is to bring glory to God. But when we answer that question, what do we want out of life, without looking at Scripture, without looking at God, it's always going to be centered on ourself. And if we ever enter on us as the center of our lives, then we're not where we want it to be. We're not where God's called us to be. It's about Him. It's not about us. So Scripture's necessary to understand that. If we're going to be like verse 17 in 2 Timothy says, that we're going to be 
that every man of God may be competent or complete and equipped for every good work, then Scripture is necessary to teach us how to do that. It's necessary for us to understand. It's what in, in 1 Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 2, we get an idea of that. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, in, in 2, 12 and 13, it says, Now we have noticed not the spirit of the world. We have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we have the spirit in us. We've received the spirit not of the world, but of God, so that we can understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what we see in there is that, that through the Spirit, we can interpret Scripture. The Spirit reveals truth to us so that we have a wisdom that's not from us to interpret truth that's not from us. And when we look at that and we see that it's necessary, we understand that it's only God that can reveal who He is. We can't, we can't go out and find God. Only Scripture can do that. Again, Kevin DeYoung says that the only being knowledgeable enough and wise enough and skillful enough to reveal God to you is God Himself. And so Scripture is necessary for that because the truth of Scripture is where we find that. So we can trust the Bible because it's necessary for us. It's necessary for us to understand who God is. And that's what Paul's saying in those last two verses, 16 and 17. It's all breathed out by God. It's all breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And yes, there's still personal, the, the authors still have personal um, impact on their writing. Their, their style's different. But it's one truth coming from one God, and we can interpret that through one spirit that's given to us when we submit our lives to Christ. That's why I can say all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. But what we don't understand there, and what I, the, the last thing I want to kind of point out is that when we look at the end of verse 16, that's what we always fail to do. We, we, we look at verse 16, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for what? Teaching, reproof, correction. We're good on those. And I can teach you because I can, I can look at this, I can read it, and I can teach it to you. Reproof and correction, we're even better at. Because, man, I see you living the way you're not supposed to. I've got a thousand verses, and we can Google them now to tell you where you're not doing right. We can correct people with Scripture. Easy, right? But what do we not do? We fail to realize that it's for what? Training in righteousness. That's the total life. Yes, we correct people. Yes, we teach people. But do we go to the Scripture and understand that it's necessary in our lives so that we can be trained in righteousness, so we can live our life that's truly set apart? Because that's what Scripture is about. It's set, living a life set apart so it brings glory to God, the one that allows us to have life in the first place. And we do all of those things. We see that it's, that it's enough, that it's clear, it's authoritative, it's necessary. And when we look at Scripture with all of those things, we can see that we can trust it and we can stand on it because it's God's Word. It doesn't matter what society says. It reminds me of the old hymn, Standing on the Promises of God. That's what we're standing on. That's what we as a body here are going to be standing on, the truth of the inerrant Word of God. It's not just for faith and practice. Everything about it is there. And that leads us to understanding that through the gospel we realize that because only in the gospel 
do we understand that we don't have to arrive at a certain position for God to love us? That's what it says. You don't have to come to this perfect understanding of who I am before, because you're not going to get there but what he sent his son for us anyways. He sent his son for us. And even in Jesus, in his teaching, we see that Jesus believed in an inerrant word of God. He taught Scripture like it was, in, it was a literal Scripture. It's not just faith and practice. And the biggest thing, you, if you've never done it, go over to Matthew, 4, Matthew 12. We're going to end here in Matthew 12 because it's an amazing example of God believing, Jesus believing that Scripture is a reality. But you see, what happens when you tell people that you believe in an inerrant word of God, in an inerrant word of God, what happens is they come, well, do you really believe everything? And the biggest test of that is ask someone, ask someone, do you believe that Jonah is true? Do you believe that Jonah happened as it's written? Or is it merely a parable, which people say now? Oh, it was just a parable. It's wanting to show you it's just shift of faith and practice. It didn't really happen. Because a modern person can't believe, literally, that, that there was a, a great fish, we could say well, that, that swallowed him at three days and he lived and was thrown up on the beach. There's no way that could happen. So it's a parable. It's a par- it didn't really happen. Are Adam and Eve real people? Those are the two things that you can ask. If you truly believe in an inerrant word of God, then Adam and Eve are historical people And Jonah really happened as it was written. He really tried to go somewhere else. He was really swallowed by a great fish. He was really in there for three days, and then he came out. It wasn't just a representation of Jesus being dead for three days and rising again. It literally happened. In Matthew 12, we see this. Matthew 12, verse... We'll we'll just read the whole thing. Verse 38 says, Some of the scribes and Pharisees answer him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. All right, so prove it. Prove you are who you are. And he says, but he answered them. You've got to love that Jesus always answers how he wanted to, not what they really wanted. You got, there, I mean, there's some, he knew the point. But in verse 39 it says, but he answered them. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, okay, here we go. What does he believe about Jonah? What's he going to say? And it says, verse 40, 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish... So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's talking about, okay, so here's, here's what's going to happen. He's bringing the meaning out of Jonah. So right there, if we stop right there, if he'd have stopped right there, we could say, oh, well, it's just a parable. He just explained the parable to us. But he doesn't stop there. Look at verse 41. The men in Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with the generation and condemn it, for they repented of the preaching, at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And so what we see then is that Jesus didn't stop. He says, okay, the men of Nineveh will rise up and be a judgment. So how can fictional people rise up at judgment if it didn't happen? If it's just a parable, then there's no one to stand up. And, and the, the Wayne Grudem, he, he tells a story in a, in a podcast talking about inerrancy. That he's like, that's like saying now, if you want to bring this into our day, that's like saying that, that even as Darth Vader repented of his sin on the last day, so too if you repent of your sin, you'll be saved. He's saying, but you can't say that Darth Vader's going to rise up against you. He's not going to stand as an example in judgment, right? Because we all know that he's not real. He's just a fictional, made-up thing to make you believe the same thing, to teach a story. But Jesus doesn't say that. 
Because he says those men will rise up. So Jesus himself taught that the Bible is inerrant in what it says. It's nothing contrary to fact. It's just not faith and practice. Every word is given to us by God. It's breathed out by God, to use Paul's language. And so we see that, and he, and he goes even further. In verse 42, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she can come from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So he, he gets it. Well, you see this little idea of Jonah in there, that it was a true story. Exactly how it happened, because the men of Nineveh will rise up. And he adds on there, the queen of the south. No one, no one doubts that the Queen of Sheba came to Solomon. But we doubt that the men of Nineveh did. So why? Because in our hearts, if we don't submit our lives, we're drawn to only what we can understand and comprehend. And you've got to be a fool to, real, to think now that, that Jonah really was swallowed by a great fish. There's no way that can happen. But that's why we have to understand that it happened the way it says. Even Jesus himself gives us that. Scripture is necessary for us to understand who God is. It's authoritative in what it is. It's not for us to come say, oh, well, that just didn't happen. Because I'm pretty sure that Jesus knew more about what happened than we do. Even if you want to go culturally in that, right? He, he knew more what was happening in the first century than we do. So why do we question that? Because in our hearts, we question everything that doesn't come to us, that doesn't rest in us as the final authority. And so we don't need to get that point, and we see that through the gospel. We can apply all those things to our life because of the gospel. The, gospel, it's a, the scripture's enough for us. Why? Because it just plainly says who we are. We're sinners in need of a Savior, but we're saved. The gospel is the filter that shows us all the things about Scripture is true and it is inerrant, and we can stand on that. It doesn't teach us anything contrary to fact, even if we don't completely understand it. It doesn't mean we throw it out. It means we submit our lives in faith even more. And if we do that, then we're truly shaped by the truth that we find in Scripture, and then our lives are, re reflect that, and then people ask us about that. That's why we say we just need to be normal people. We need to say, yeah, I don't understand how that works. I don't understand all of that, but I understand how it impacted my life. I understand how that changed my life, and here's that. You don't have to know all the answers. You just have to be a normal person willing to, willing to realize that I don't have all the answers, yet I have the answer because I was saved when I was in my trespasses and sin, yet made alive in Christ Jesus. That's the point of it, because that then brings glory to him not us. Let's pray.